0: Love, talk, radio.
1: Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find today's tennis discussions. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey, and our mentors. Well, they might provide that roadmap for your journey. For the last for over five plus years, I've been blessed to be talking with mentors who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches. Who are these mentors you will hear on our Thursday's broadcast? Well, the Almighty will in at least once a month, you will continue hearing either Dr. Alan Fox or Coach Chuck Reese. Other mentors sharing their knowledge on Thursdays have been coaches like world coach uh, Ashley Hobson, uh, Bobby Payless from Notre Dame, Coach Scott Engie, um, who actually into uh, the foreword of the book we're going to be talking about today. He did the forward of, and you know how much I um, appreciate all he's done for uh, high school and college tennis, Uh, Dr. Bryce Young, uh, Ed Crash, Johnny Angel, Nick Saviano, uh, Coach Scott Williams, Energy Coach Linda LeClaire, and others. Besides these coaches sharing their knowledge, you may also hear other college or high school tennis coaches or USTA, PTR, USPTA heads, as well as leaders from tennis and racket sport organizations. Because I do believe Dr. King, when he said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, each week you will hear my biased views on North American tennis and life. I would like to thank Yellow Ball CEO J.P. Weber for hosting the program and on our network Of course, the nice thing about Block Talk Radio is you can listen at any time you like to any of the programming on the Yellow Ball Network. Uh, Last night, I listened to uh, uh, yesterday's broadcast from uh, Coach Chuck Rusey, an outstanding broadcast. I suggest you all listen uh, to it. Uh, but I didn't get around to it until late last night, and uh i well i never I seldom listen to them live, but I don't miss any of the conversations and besides our Thursday conversation, the Almighty Woolen, you will be able to continue reading my articles in Florida tennis magazine, and as I have previously stated, if you disagree or want to comment please email me at Coach Denise D-A-N-I-S-E dot F-H-S-T-C-A at A-T-T dot net. Who knows, you may read your views in Florida Tennis Magazine or hear them on a future broadcast of Coach Denise Exploring Tennis Lessons. By the way, if someone has taken the last issue of Florida Tennis from your pro shop, or you're not a subscriber, you can always read the last issue of the magazine by going to www.FloridaTennis.com. And, of course, in between issues, you can read mine or Jim Marks or some of the other writers uh, on Facebook. That's at capital F, capital L, tennis. Uh, on Facebook, we try to keep you abreast of what's going on um, Wood tennis. Uh, there's a lot of things that happen in between issues, and we do try to keep you informed. I'm excited about the uh, broadcast. I apologize for last week the mix up uh, with times, uh, but that happens sometimes. I do see... Uh, our uh, guest on now, and uh, I will uh, get him on. Uh, Coach, are you there? Yes,
0: I am here. Can you hear me, John?
1: I I can hear you very good. I'm going to introduce you in a second. I just, um I am because I do enjoy this book so much, and I think it's important, I want to get in that, so I'm not going to, get into my commentary too much, because it is online. Uh, I'm not too old to uh, listen to suggestions, and a couple years ago you asked me to uh, to turn them online, I guess, you know, my scratchy voice sometimes, but uh, I did put it on. My commentary today was supposed to be about finding the truth in the narrative of the individual's organization or group's present. And when asking my wife, Bobby to review the thoughts, she informed me that I wrote about the dangers of having a fixed mindset a couple of years ago. And going through the computer, I did find the article she was referring to. And I, rather than uh, writing a similar thing over, uh, I did post uh, July 26 commentary from uh, uh, Two thousand and eighteen, so rather than give it to you online uh uh and uh, live uh if you would uh, take the time to read it it's the same thing that I just read it to you but I think it's important that we get into today's <coughs> excuse me book i as you know, I love books and i um you know, often gave books out instead of uh, trophies uh, to when I was coaching <laughs> high school uh, tennis. But there's a book out just came out, High School Coaching Mastery, and it's by uh, Coach David W. Smith. I believe, as I stated last week, it's a book that if you're an athletic director, or a high school coach, I believe every athletic director should get the book for their high school coaches. Uh, I think it's important, uh, especially for new coaches uh, going in uh, I've talked many times how you can be a math teacher as, or science teacher, and you could still be a good coach, but you do know you do know, know what the job contains and uh, uh, quite frankly, if you're looking to uh, this as a job, uh, <laughs> you're looking at the wrong profession. Uh, you you've got you have to love coaching, and the rewards don't come until uh, about uh, a lot of times not till 20 years later when you get invited to weddings and graduations and <laughs> okay. things like that. But uh, high school mastery. I was very interested for a couple reasons. The foreword of the book is actually by a gentleman we're going to have as a guest uh, next Thursday, and of course he's been on the broadcast uh, many times before. He, uh, too, is a USPTA uh, uh, two-time National High School Coach of the Year. Uh, he started the um, uh National High School uh, Coaches Association I was blessed to work with him when I was the tennis coordinator at the World Scholar Athlete Games Um, he was every four years uh, he was well I shouldn't say every four years they discontinued that after a while but for a few years uh, we met there. and and, uh, when I was coaching in high school I was invited out to Kansas which I did, and uh, and multiple times he's come to Florida. He's been a high school coach, a uh, uh, college coach, and we will have uh, Scott Engie on uh, next week because I'm, truthfully, I'm going to hope that he's getting a little bored with uh, uh, retirement and uh, some people handle it well, other people like me um, uh, it's uh, tough to do, so I'm hoping he's ready to get to work again because I think I'd like to see that organization get going again because I think people like uh, our today's guest, David Smith, who is an, uh, an inductee into the uh, National High School Coaches Hall of Fame, uh, I think it was in 2019, if I remember correctly, But it's uh, you know we need to recognize these people, (laughs) and uh, rather than start a new organization, I'd like to see that organization really get back to uh, being what it's done before. So, uh, quite frankly, (laughs) I'm going to be putting a little uh, pressure on Scott again, but he's used to it, so (laughs) Uh, and I'm sure he's going to expect it coach uh i i think your your book is one that every coach i i think it's not just for a coach i said last week and i and i talked about every uh, athletics director should get it for their high school coaches and coaches should read it but i think it's a great book for the tennis player and for the uh parents uh too so tell me a little bit about yourself and why you decided to uh, write the book.
0: Well, John, uh, like you, I've been involved in high school tennis for a long time. Uh, I started in Southern California where I enjoyed my junior playing career, my college career, and uh, moved on to coaching, followed in my father's footsteps. My father was the great Uh, Bruce Smith, national uh, coach of the year, uh, runner-up coach of the year, California coach of the year in 1984. And I coached with him, I coached against him, and I took his place after he died prematurely at the age of 55, two weeks into his retirement, and continued coaching the team that he had started. And together we uh, won over 690-some-odd team matches and lost only, 11 times, um, I'm sorry, seven times. Um, and so obviously I learned a lot from my father's influence and I certainly, um, learned a lot by following uh, many others. In fact, in my, uh, page on acknowledgement in my book, I talk about how I, we can see so much further when we stand on the shoulders of giants, which is of course, Isaac Newton's famous, uh, phrase and and certainly we uh, stand on the shoulders of many who have come before us and hopefully will follow us and hopefully we are the giants that will help serve those who serve others you know as years go by. So my my emphasis in writing the book was obviously uh, I had written two very successful books, tennis mastery and coaching mastery, which is. Uh, the last of the two books I'd written in tennis. I've got several novels out. Um, I've written nine books altogether, but those two books were very well received, very uh, highly regarded in the industry, and still thought of very highly, even though they're 10 years, uh, a little over 10 years old now. But high school coaching, I came back to high school coaching after working in the industry in virtually every capacity i started as a obviously a high school coach i moved on to being an assistant pro a head pro a tennis director a general manager of a large six million dollar fitness and tennis club and then uh, retired from that to work with my daughter which many of you who probably follow me uh, know my daughter is a world-ranked golfer and and she started as a very good tennis player, but found a love of golf in the same way we encouraged tennis. And I encouraged that I, I coached golf in Arizona as well. So I had no problem with my daughter following in, in a golfing uh, direction. But then I, as I I was reinvited back four years ago to coach high school and took over a team that had won only one region title in six years. And um, I really wanted to show what, my coaching mastery book prior to this high school coaching mastery book was valid. And so everything I did uh, created a team that won 60 consecutive matches, won four consecutive region titles, was state runner up twice and state champion in the last year. And then I retired this year. So it, it gave me the impetus to take everything I had done, but more specifically focus it for the high school coach. And as you mentioned, John, I wanted to, um, obviously, give every coach the opportunity, whether they're the novice coach, uh, as you said, the math teacher or science teacher or whatever who has minimal high school coaching background, to have a blueprint of how to build a team, even if it's never done well, a process that will indeed create success. And not just one year of success, but many, many years of, of continued success.
1: Well, I do think you've done it with the, that book. I, I, I especially like the idea of, when you said before about showing. I, I like the amount of photos you've collected over your career and everything. And uh, you, the, I think you're showing the people what to do here is important. There is a difference between um, uh, coaching in a uh, country club or uh, uh, and coaching in high school. Uh, can you give us a little bit about you know some of the things that uh, you had to make adjustments with in, in coaching high school tennis?
0: Yeah, well, that's a great question because a lot of There's obviously a lot of crossover and and having been involved in the tennis teaching industry um, from the club industry, the camp, the academy, the uh, resort. uh, All those things are similar in some regards. But high school tennis is different in this respect more than anything. As a high school coach, you have – opportunities and challenges one of the opportunities is that you have four years usually if you get players that come out of the freshman, to develop those players and identify how those players improve over the course of four years Um, that's pretty rare sometimes in the tennis club industry to have junior players say uh, stay in a program for four years so that's one advantage the other advantage or uh, opportunity is that you get to compare how you coach and how you train your players to the players you train, you play against. So other coaches and other teams, you get to see those kids usually for two, three, four years and see how those players improve based on their teaching, uh, methodology. If there is any at those schools. So those are some of the opportunities that the, uh, you know, the disadvantage, I guess, is the seasons are short. You have uh, three months, usually three to four months, depending on the state you're in, to work with players. In some states, you have a limited opportunity to work with players in the off season. Here in California, when I was in California and here in Utah now, and in Arizona, we could work with our players year-round with just a few minor um, moratoriums where we were we were sheltered from being able to work with our players. So that's great. In fact, one of my players that graduated this year, one of my awesome seniors, um, I've had all four years, uh, as most all of them that graduated, I had all four years. Uh, she turned to me and said, coach, do you know that you, we figured it out. Me and my sister, she had a twin sister, both played on my state championship team that you spend 1400 hours with us over the course of four years. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I do. And so, you know, you, you figure 1,400 hours could be longer than some of these kids spend with family members. And so that's a very big responsibility that I hope my book emphasizes that uh, it's sort of like, uh, you know, Spider-Man who says, a great power comes with great responsibility. Well, great coaching comes with great responsibility, in my opinion. And you have an opportunity to create what I call a culture. And this is one thing that a lot of coaches don't recognize or understand that helps contribute to a successful team. And that is creating a love of just, not just the sport, but a love of their teammates, a love of competition, and even a love of their opponents. I mean, uh, you know, I would like to say that, you know, most of all of our players really enjoyed, the friendships they created even among the opponents that they played against. And that's a culture that is usually um, first uh, incentivized by the coach. And that uh, is is the book goes into a lot of ways. And I would go even further in to say, not only is this book for every athletic director to share with their tennis coach, but it really is a book for any coach of any sport because the whole first couple chapters deal deal with, the whole aspect of building a culture, building a, a recognition, building them. You know, when we sell something on the market, we like to market, we like to um, uh, have an opportunity to uh, brand our, our product. Well, a coach needs to brand their tennis team and make that tennis team visible, recognizable, and something the school is proud of. And the, the the kids of that school look at that team and go, wow, do you know how good our tennis team is or how good our football team is or how good our golf team is? That's building a a, a brand, and that's what this book goes into as well.
1: Yeah, and I think you, know, you went into your uh, advanced foundation and the philosophy of doing that. And I think a lot of people, there's – two different things is coaching an individual athlete and coaching a team. Uh, And uh, I think I'd like to see you go into a little bit more talking about your advanced foundation. I think you covered some of it there as I read it through the book. But I think like I always believe one of the questions had uh, a three-month player Moose and before we started, and the last time I would always ask, what do you have to offer the team? Talk a little about your advanced foundation uh, of, of coaching and the difference between coaching an individual and making uh, having that individual be part of the team.
0: Well, the team aspect is created through that culture I just mentioned, and building a team that while everyone is challenging each other for spots on varsity or top JV, um, you still want to create an opportunity that gives players a, a recognition of their teammates and, and the value of their teammates. But the advanced foundation is something I coined in my first book, tennis mastery. And it's been copied by a lot of people and recognized as, as definitely something that uh, is uh, logical commonsensical, if you will, because tennis seems to be the only sport, and I talk about this in depth in Tennis Mastery, but the only sport that, agree, that many pros think, well, if we teach inferior methods that are arguably easier, we'll change the player later. And there's no other sport that trains methods that have to change for a player to become highly skilled. No, no other sport does that. And for example, an eastern forehand grip on the serve. There's not a single top player, top pro, top college player that serves with a eastern forehand waiter grip type serve. And yet we have pros that still teach that today. And one of the hardest things that a teaching pro is to take a player, adult, junior, who's been playing with that grip and competing with that grip or that stroke or whatever, and the hardest thing for that player to do is to change that grip that they've become so familiar with because it's not just a grip change to change, let's say, a grip on a serve. Everything changes when you change the grip, the swing path, the body position, the contact point, everything changes. And this is why people don't understand that when pros say, oh, you know what, we'll change their grip later because it's just a grip change. Well, that's not true. (laughs) It is far from just a grip change. So the Advanced Foundation is the principle, I I did a one-year study with my daughter called Training an Eight-Year-Old when she was Eight, and I documented her progress from the time she had never really played before, truly, and followed her in one year. By the time she was nine, she was hitting with college players, was competing. She won tournaments up in uh, summer games and whatnot. Um, And and I showed that the Advanced Foundation, even for an eight-year-old who had nominal – athleticism. She was dedicated to the principles that I was teaching and she's just one of hundreds, if not thousands of players that have exceeded their perceived potential because you gave them the tools to not just play better, but love the sport. The analogy I use, John, is this. If you were a piano teacher, would you ever teach your beginning student to pick out notes on a piano with your two index fingers? No,
1: we would no. never do
0: that because you would never be able to play the piano much more beyond chopsticks and twinkle, twinkle, little star. Um, you, you could play this, a Steinway for 20 years with two index fingers and never be able to play much better than that. So we would never teach a beginning piano player to use two index fingers just so they could play a song. We teach them how to use all their fingers through a process of pro, you know, a, a progression and we need to understand that with tennis is so much like that. If we train inferior methods, we, we basically rivet that player to playing at a lower level that will never allow them to reach a higher skill level that their potential and their potential is defined by four main things, athleticism, um, desire, dedication, um, opportunity, those those four things, and, and athleticism. Believe it or not, John, I have found that the least important of those uh, attributes is athleticism for a player to reach highly skilled levels of play. I'll give you an example. In California, my last year, my last two years coaching in California, my, uh, I had a freshman boy come out for the tennis team who could not drop the ball himself and hit it. He could not hit the ball himself with the racket his sophomore year he became the number one doubles player in southern california we're not talking nebraska or iowa we're talking southern california and he won 175 consecutive matches between the sophomore and senior year and that is an example of a kid who started off as the last kid on my ladder his freshman year who showed no athleticism And yet, through the Advanced Foundation, and obviously he had desire. He came out and stayed after practice. He begged anybody to hit balls with him. That desire and discipline allowed him, along with the Advanced Foundation, to achieve – he he became one of our all-time finest players. And he was not a club taught. He never took lessons. He only learned through what we did in the high school setting. So that kind of gives you an idea of what the Advanced Foundation is as well as what it can do. And I've had hundreds of players like that. That's probably just one of an extreme situation where a player achieved greatness. And boys mature later. Um, You know, a freshman boy may initially show absolutely minimal, you know, athleticism and potential. And yet by their sophomore year or even their junior year, they, they mature physically. And you'd be amazed on how good some of these kids can become. And if you give them the right incentive and the enthusiasm, boy, they will achieve great things far more than they thought and certainly probably more than even you thought.
1: Excuse me. I believe I talk a lot about time, and uh, I've had some people say – I think they've learned that I must be old, and I object that. I'm saying uh, I'm older than most, but uh, I fight to be old. I'm trying to stay young. But time is the most precious commodity we have, I think, and we forget that it takes time to do something. And if you have the fundamentals right, uh, that's the important thing, because even with athleticism, as you develop athleticism, the athleticism might deprive you of going to the next step, but until you have your basics, you're not getting to the next step if you're athletic or not. And if you don't love the sport you're in, uh, you're not going to become athletic enough to make the uh, next movement. And I, I was right. at Inspiration Tennis Academy, uh, uh, this past weekend, and I was actually between watching a tournament with outstanding players and watching their baseball program and uh, listening to the pitching coach tell them, you have to do more stretching, you have to be more agile because the next movement we want from you, you're not agile enough to do that. With. And this is a, a big effort. Athletic looking person that's, a serv- that's uh, not serving, but pitching at 95, 96 miles an hour. And you, you have to be good to get there or to get to that academy. But to get to the next level, you know, that's when the athleticism, that's when the uh, agility, that's when being able yep. to, uh, the movement comes in there. And yeah. uh, if he didn't have that foundation, he would have never got to there. And fortunately, well, he's patient let me, let me, that he, he's more concerned about getting better than having to play in that game that evening. So it's a good point. Yeah, well, let, 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 me, let, let me jump on that
0: because there, this is a, a very important aspect of the Advanced Foundation. Skilled tennis is not based on strength. My number one girl, uh, my number one and two girls probably combined did not weigh uh, 190 pounds. They were both in the weighed about 85 to 90 pounds. Um, They could hit as hard as any boy. Um, You know, maybe not on the serve as big because there's some upper body strength that's just different. Right. But um, my daughter is a great example of a a girl that uh, literally had. Was is not what you would consider just a purebred athlete, but we trained her in golf the same and as well as in tennis, using the fundamentals of advanced foundation. Now, if you saw my daughter swing a golf club, uh, she drives the ball about 290 yards. She's about <laughs> five foot four, five foot five, not a big girl, and yet drives the ball farther than the, some of the strongest men around. Now, good tennis is like that. I demonstrate in, in clinics all the time, volleys, ground strokes, and serves, where I use two fingers and volley hard shots and hit ground strokes and hit actually good tick serves and pretty hard serves without dropping my racket. Of course, it's hard. Sometimes I lose the racket, but the ball goes in. And mm-hmm. I show that when you learn good technique, strength is not the, de- the demand. When you, lo- when you learn with poor technique, strength is necessary because of the ineffectiveness of the stroke that uh, is associated with an effective play. And so that is one of the big things that I think is a big wake-up call is that my daughter, when she was eight years old, within three months of learning the game was using a full-size racket, could hit a hybrid and almost a kick serve. She got to the kick serve by the time she was nine, um, could hit. Yeah, I taught her 2 of forehand, two-handed backhand, but she could hit with college players by the time she was nine years old. Now, again, tiny girl not a lot of athleticism but she could because she developed the strokes the top spin associated the footwork patterns and the swing path to hit a ball that does not require a lot of strength she used the power of the other person's ball to, to actually hit a lot of balls back a little bit like monica sells although of course monica hit pretty hard and that's how she is so i mean that that i hope at least uh, illuminates the idea that, boy, if you feel like you have to have strength, if a player or your students feel like, I don't have enough strength, you've got to look at the technique because the tech is wrong if they feel like they have to have strength. I mean, yeah, some things will require some basic fundament. And in my book, I talk all about the progressions that develop, say, the continental grip, which is usually a foreign grip for players to volley with and serve with and hit overheads. And hit the 2 back backhand with the dominant hand in the Continental grip. Yeah, that's that you've got to train. You've got to make the unfamiliar become familiar. And that's what the Advanced Foundation is. I, am, I, I marvel at the number of coaches to this day who say, um, you know, let kids learn whatever feels comfortable. Well, if what feels comfortable is wrong, you are only going to have a player that gets good at being bad. <laughs> and, uh, you, and, and that's the truth. And I see parents who oh. talk ball to kids and they're just flailing away. They're not developing a stroke. Yeah, they'll figure out how to hit the ball soft enough to stay in the court and hard enough to clear the net, but they're not going to develop the strokes that develop spin, angles, depth, control, and most importantly, a repeatable, reliable swing path. If you don't create a repeatable, reliable swing path. You don't have, you will not be a tennis player that will progress. You will stagnate because now timing becomes ultra critical because you're not having a stroke that's the same every time. And that's one thing you'll notice even among six year olds who have been taught correctly. They have a stroke, and we see videos all the time of six, seven, eight, nine year olds, my daughter included, who hit the ball extraordinarily well. And that's because they developed the mechanics of an advanced foundation, a a swing path that Maybe not as hard as a pro, but it's certainly, I mean, I, you know, let's look at golfers. Do golfers at 7, 8, and 9, they swing just like Tiger Woods did. Tiger Woods, when he was three years old, swang, swung the club, obviously not like he does today, but certainly within the context of an advanced stroke. So, again, if a, if a kid at three years old can hit a golf ball like that, then obviously there's not much strength in a three-year-old. And you know, obviously, tennis players are, are no different. Uh, uh, you know, obviously, the, the ball comes faster. At times, we need to be able to control it. But an uh, advanced foundation develops strokes that don't require strength to execute the shot, and that is the truth. <laughs> you can take that to the bank. <laughs>
1: yeah, no question about it. You being from Southern California, and uh, this past. Week it reminded me uh, the the great Sandy Colfax uh, lived right here in Vero Beach, which is the next community to me, and where I had coached tennis with my son for years. Uh, In the afternoons, I would sneak over to Dodger Town, and uh, Sandy would be uh, giving tips and everything. And he would always had one of his favorite sayings. He'd be there, and he would, as you were ready to throw, he would sit there and touch your Hand, and if the ball didn't drop out, he was sitting there saying, You're gripping the ball too tight. You're dripping the yep. ball yep. too tight. And, uh, you know, I was r- reminded of that doing that, seeing that. And, uh, and it, we used to have fast serve contests, and we used to use the gun. And most players were during the five warm up serves they had, the highest speeds were that time than when they got into the next five, which were the ones that counted supposedly because the tension and everything they're gripping up. So we there's so many people that misunderstand the philosophy of strength and, uh, right. and when it's used, when it's not used. And it re- really relates to all the sports, serving and pitching, uh, there's so many uh, similarities there. It's a, it's amazing. Absolutely. You've worked with just, uh, as I look at the book there, it looks like you've worked with probably an equal number of boys and girls in your teams. What's some of the difference that you find with coaching boys and coaching girls, or is there no difference?
0: There are differences for sure. And um, there are similarities um, in both teams, you have to, the, you, the first thing you have to establish with your team is a sincere care of each of those players. You will not be able to um, bring out the best in those players and be able to push them if they don't believe you have a sincere interest, a, a caring interest in them as an individual and in them as a team. So that is something that is you – cannot, you cannot go into a team and be hard-nosed without showing you care. You have to first and foremost care. You can be a hard-nosed coach and be loved and be listened to and be respected, but if you do not have that degree of their belief in that you care about them, good luck. It's going to be very hard-pressed for a team – to be pushed harder and harder if they don't believe that you care about them. So that is one thing. Uh, girls obviously have certain levels of emotion that you can use to your advantage that I think the boys are a little less um, uh, have uh, in their, you know, just their g- generalities. There are exceptions to this, of course. But I love the fact that because I show my girls I care then they reciprocate by say, by basically not verbalizing this, but s- saying to me, Coach, we'll do whatever it is you want us to do to achieve what it is we want as a team. So that's an emotional, subjective kind of approach that is on top of being objective that really helps on a girls' program. And I've seen this even at the college level when I followed my daughter's uh, four years of college career when she became world-ranked. Um, I, I did see uh, some some failures in in some of the coaches that created a a, a very a dysfunctional climate if you will and um, so I, I've seen both ends of it coaches that really create um, a, a wonderful a level of of uh, care, uh, significant interest, and that kind of thing. Boys, you can certainly um, be a little more aggressive with, I think. But I, I, I treat both my teams equally. In fact, uh, during the summer and during our off-season, we do everything together. Our boys and girls do exactly the same drills, exactly the same uh, warm-up, exactly the same stretching exercises. They do things together, and I make them do things together. And you know what builds out of that? They go to dances together. They go on dates together. They go on group dates together. They, they're creating lifetime memories and a social growth that is so healthy, in my opinion, that is going to stay with them forever. So not only am I a tennis coach, but I feel that I create opportunities for boys and girls to grow as teenagers, obviously, and into young adults. And I think that is a, a something a lot of coaches fail to recognize that that is something that you have an opportunity to help that process um, be very positive. And so – I wouldn't say there's a huge difference other than just boys are, you know, a little bit different than the girls and in that respect, but overall you've got to care about those players and they've got to know that you care about them.
1: And I think that's the one thing about, I know my biggest objection with coaching high school uh, tennis was the limited amount of time. Uh, To me, it always seemed crazy that you had uh, Three months to sit there and put a team together, and how do they get to know each other? And my own philosophy, I would have the parent-player meetings before uh, the we would start even the practice, and then we, I would ask them, do they want to be a part of that? Do we get to know each other? I I don't know how you get help each other and love each other if you don't get to know each other. And I think with kids, sometimes it's harder for them to sit there and uh, express them uh, self and, uh, yes. and to keep yeah. them uh, attacking. And, I, and they need more time. And I know I presented that at uh, when I was doing the training for the state of Florida and people say, well, how did you get your school to pay those four months, you know, do it? Well, they don't pay it. <laughs> you know, you yeah. have to volunteer your own uh, time. And and that's why I say, if you don't love what you're doing, then you and you get to learn about each other, uh, you know, what, what, who, what does this person like? What do they do? How are you going to help them? How are you going to challenge them? And, we, and every coach has their own little things to do, I would uh Sit there, and if you weren't one of the starters, you were tracking the, the match. Well, you know, when you first start, you're finding out how many uh, double faults, uh, how many winners, how many uh, unforced errors. But by the time the fourth match was going, and somebody would come up, and I'd ask them the thing, and they'd say, Who's winning? And then I'd say, Why? And they'd go, Excuse me? I said, why are we winning or why are we losing? And then they start realizing, you know, what they're doing, what that information is, and it's to help me, and it's how much I have to learn from them. What's the one thing, probably the most important thing, that you think you've learned from your players?
0: Well, um, you know, I've learned how, how, how far compassion goes um, uh, and, and caring those, for sure. But, um, you know, when I retired this year, um, the responses I got telling me how valuable I was to these players is greater than any paycheck, for sure. And knowing that I've left a mark on these players in such a positive way that I think I have affected them in a good way for the rest of their lives. Now, obviously, they're going to have many, many experiences down the road. Um, I wouldn't ever put myself on a pedestal thinking, oh, I've changed this person's life forever, but I have. And one a good example of that, and one of the greatest gifts that a parent told me was she had a daughter who was a sophomore. I actually quoted, this is in the book, and I, she asked me if her sophomore daughter could come out for tennis late because we had already started our season, she came out a week or two late, and I have a no-cut policy, and I said, absolutely, have Jill come on out, so she came out, and I had no idea, John, that this young lady would eat lunch in her older sister's car by herself every day, because she had no friends, (laughs) and she came out for the tennis team, and within three months, she was going bowling. She went, was invited to dinner. They She double dated on uh, the, the uh, homecoming dance. She had friends that she had never had before. And what impact that had on her, you can't measure. You can't even measure. And the mother yeah. broke down in tears, grateful that she said, I changed her daughter's life. And...
1: Wow, <laughs> that's pretty powerful. Yeah, that is. There's no two ways about it. Uh, when these are the things that uh, happen when you have, uh, and, and that, not that they don't happen when you're working with individuals too, but there's something about team sports when you learn. You learn who really, are, you know, changing themselves. You learn people that. Uh, are thinking and appeasing you. I mean, uh, that's one of the things that everybody knew Coach Denise's favorite ice cream was uh coffee ice cream. And uh, when you, I use that as a lunatic when I'd ask a, a parent or somebody, or somebody, one of the things when we talked about each other, someone would say, Tell me something about Coach Denise. Well, if it, if after the third or fourth month, it was uh, well. Coach Denise likes coffee ice cream. I really I learned that either number one they didn't care to know anything more about me, number two they weren't ready to sit there and express their own opinions about what's happened. So it was easier to use an excuse that something that everybody knew already. Coach Denise likes ice cream. So and I knew this would be some of the things you would have to. Help them with. Uh, Right, right, that's great. Yeah, I I would, uh, before every practice, I would put a quote down. I noticed you used a lot of quotes in your book, which I think is fantastic because I think, you know, they're just such great memories. And a lot of times I would misquote something or, you know, for instance, maybe, we Why? what's our goal this year, Is it to win the national cha- uh, state championship? Right. And, no, that isn't what uh go with. But somebody would look, okay, everybody sign it, and then they, after practice, I would ask, uh, so we all agreed to this year. And and then you wait to Someone say, well, coach, you know, That's not what you talk about, the state championship. You're talking about being a team. Oh, so we want to scratch that off there. So that's not a truism, right? So, you know, now you get them to start thinking, um, well, it sounds like everybody wants to win that, but no, that's not what we're working at. And so sometimes we all need help challenging ourself and thinking, and I think with kids, you have to be able to help them.
0: Right. Well, let me, let me touch on that idea of challenging and giving these kids goals. One of the things that I've learned over the years is how many times I've heard other teams' kids say out loud, either to their coach or I've overheard them say something to do the effect, gosh, coach, why can't we be as good as that team, you know, referring to my team? Why can't we play like they? Why, don't, why, why can't we hit the ball as good as they do? And usually the coach says something very stupid and says, well, they're just really lucky. They get good players. And I'm going to say that's below <laughs> We train our players. And the first thing I told my players four years ago, I said, within four years we will win a state championship. We will win the state title. And that's a pretty, pretty profound statement. You know, to say to a team oh. that had only won one region title, let alone a state title in six years. And so, interestingly enough, my first year as the head coach, we were in third place in state. The second year, we were second runner-up in state by, and missed first place by two points. The third year at state, we were runner-up by one point. You talk about heartbreak. And last year we set a record uh, with, with the greatest margin of Vic Heidel uh, in the last 10 years. So, you know, again, it, I, I really felt we should have won state two years prior, and certainly the year before. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. But the goal was four years, and we won it in the fourth year of my years coaching. And so my my emphasis here is that. You tell your players you're capable. You're, you will learn to play the game at such a level that all the other teams. I'll give you an example. We're in Utah. The most wealthiest school is Park City, up, you know, the ski town of Park City, Utah. They've, they won the state title three years in a row. We come in there, and the first year they win it, we're third. The second year we were runner-up to them. Third year we were runner-up to them. And the fourth year, we killed them, demolished them, annihilated them. And uh, it just goes to show you it doesn't take a lot of money, and it doesn't take um, uh, a a huge amount of um, sacrifice on the coach's part. It just takes a belief and a dedication to achieving that goal. And that is the one thing every coach I hope who reads my book realizes that if you're not telling your players that within an X, a few years that they will be the best team in the state, then you are not reaching your you're not trying to reach for your potential. And if you believe your kids can't do that, they won't do that. <laughs> um, that is a true belief. If if you say, you know what, kids we're 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 just starting out let's just try to be third or fourth place in our region let's see if we can get to state no you tell those kids this year we're going to win state we're going to re- we're going to go for re- we're the region title and we're going to keep working towards that goal until we get it and if you do that your kids will respond they will believe in themselves because you believe in them and that is one of the big differences between a a successful coach year in and year out and a coach uh, you know, for example, there's a coach uh, who's been coaching for 10 years, and he always told his kids, well, let's just see if we can get a few games off Desert Hills. Let's just see if we can get a point, you know. Well, that's not much of a goal because, no. you know, no. that, that's uh, that's not going to do it as far as getting those kids to believe they can be the best.
1: No, we have, and I think, and unfortunately, it reflects on uh, today's society today. We don't strive for the best any, anymore. Competition is not a dirty word. It's uh, uh, it's an important word. Uh, repetition is important. If you're not working at something, <clears throat> I I don't know, sometimes I wonder how many uh, athletes are in this group destroying things, Um Maybe it's my ego, but I don't think there's many in there because they're working at something.
0: Listen, I don't know if right. you heard
1: that, but we now have five minutes before we're off the air. So tell the uh, people how uh, to get your book. And uh, Well, the-
0: uh, let me let me say this. Uh, uh, you can reach me on Facebook. Usually I, I'm a part of so many different tennis pages that I think a lot of people who are listening to this may already know who I am or have my other books. Um, obviously, High School Coaching Mastery is my newest book, but all my books are at Barnes & Noble. They are at Amazon. Um, I know Tennis Mastery was the number two rated book for about five years on a tennis warehouse. Um, and so you can get my books correct from me and save some money, and I'll autograph it or personalize it to a friend or a coach or a, a family member that you want to give it to. And I'll save you five bucks. Uh, Norm, the book sells for 25 bucks plus shipping. Uh, I'll ship it to you for 25 bucks total. But just reach out to me on Facebook or you can reach me on my email, which is a c r, Pres like President, P-R-E-S, the number one at MSN.com. And if you can put show notes down there, that would be great. But I'd love everybody to get this book. I'd love uh, people It's on Kindle uh, so you can get it as an ebook. I'd love people to share their thoughts and comments about it as well, because that helps other coaches know what the book offers and how it's helped them or, or any, anything that's an honest response. And certainly reach out to me on Facebook, uh, Dave Smith or uh, competitive tennis coaching or tennis house or any of those tennis websites. I'm, I'm very actively engaged in sharing some of the ideas in my videos. Also on YouTube, I have a lot of the drill videos that are in the book showing what you can do with a large team. Keep in mind, I average 50 players on a team on six courts. We hit on average 10,000 balls every 12 minutes in certain drill settings, and we challenge every day. And so there are ways you can be very, very effective in coaching a large team if you know how to do it. And if you cannot coach a large team, learn how to coach a large team. Because I guarantee folks, if you're, your lower players, your numbers 25 through 35 or 45 or even 50, will surprise you. And you will be amazed if you give them the foundation, the advanced foundation, if you give them incentive, those players will become some of your best players. So don't cut them. You, will, you are cutting your own throat.
1: Yeah, I think uh, uh, a no-cuff policy is a good policy. I think what we get confused about it sometimes is some people look at no-cuff policy as a no-work policy, uh, and I think that's why I always had the uh, player pair meetings before, uh, to let people know this is what you should expect from me, this is what I expect from you, if you feel that you can contribute to the team, you won't be cut because uh, you're not capable of playing. You will be cut uh, if you uh, break some of the rules. Of uh, course, right, one of my right. rules was if your uh, grades went down during the tennis season, uh, I needed yep. your parent and your uh, and that teacher to tell, explain why. And if uh, both of them didn't, then you were cut. And I've only had to do that uh, twice. And only one time uh, did they fight, want to fight it and went to the athletic director and principal. And that's the nice thing I think about rules. And uh, the athletic director right away, way said, gee, I'm surprised because the parents said, well, I told them, said them she could still uh, play. And the teacher said that. She uh, wasn't applying herself, and just, I'm surprised, Coach Denista, and have you signed the contract? How did that? Ha- yeah. Oh, here it is. Oh, I, oh, <laughs> is, this, is this your signature? <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, that's it. Yeah. So- you you will
0: minimize you'll minimize a lot of those situations from the get-go when you have really good communication. And I do exactly the same thing. I have a team contract and the expectation and responsibility, and and make sure the parents are very clear on what their role is. And uh, very seldom have I, you know, I've never had to cut a player. I've had a one player, I think, in the last four years who missed it because of grades. The school had, you know, you had to cut them because of, they didn't cut it because of grades. Right. But really, the, the big thing is I hear from coaches all the time, oh, I can't create a competitive program if I've got 50 kids out there. I can't even do it if I've got 25. And I'm sorry, but if I can do it with 50 kids and I can do it, I've had world-ranked players on my boys' and girls' teams in California as well as top-ranked players in Arizona and Utah. And yet, I, all those players come out. Debbie Graham, number one player in the U.S. when she played for me, her, her freshman, sophomore, and junior years.
1: Dave, we're coming through the last. Six, we're at the last 60 okay. seconds now, and I have to talk about next week's guest. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate uh, sharing the book with you. I enjoyed the book immensely, and I will continue to recommend it. Uh, you, because I, I think it's outstanding. And next week we will have Scott Inge on, and uh, uh, Scott wrote the foreword in the book, and he's uh, a gentleman that I've been blessed to know for a lot of years, and he's uh, he coached high school, he coached college, uh, he started the um, national uh, high school uh, Coaches Association, and uh, we're going to have them on next Thursday, and we will talk a little bit more about high school tennis. I really do believe it's a sleeping giant that we need uh, to wake up. I look at some of the things that's happening in college uh, tennis now. Um, You've read some of my articles about uh, competition when I was president of the uh, professional tennis registry, which was dead in the US uh, PTR. Everybody was saying, Don't let your better player play high school uh, college because the uh, high school culture ruined it. And I said, Bull. The athletic director said, Put your money where your mouth is and take over the program. But I do believe college tennis is at that point now we're seeing people that don't want to play college players because they're going right to the many especially on the girls side and I think that if we don't wake up this sleeping giant of high school foot uh, high school tennis uh, then uh, we're going to have problems in uh, tennis being uh, where it is at one time the better players and uh, the United States produced all came out of college. So have a blessed week. Uh, next week, Scott Engie will be our mentor on there. I hope you enjoyed the broadcast. Tell your friends about it, and I will talk to you uh, next week, the almighty willing. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.